I'm Matt Godbolt. And I'm Ben Rady. And this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Good. Yet again, we uh, have a very inspiring beginning to this podcast. One day we'll be more interested in this, I'm sure, but... No. no. All right. Disagree. We'll never change. We will ne- All right. How about this? <laughs> You're assuming we can be interesting, which I think is impossible. Sin. <laughs> ack. No. Oh, you got it. It's, it's sin ack is next. You, you you set the sin and the ack flag. Oh, yeah. Sin, sin ack. And yes. then I do ack to say sin, we, we synchronized okay. our sequence. Anyway, this, this is, whole thing is flawed. Anyone listening? <laughs> We've already lost our audience of, of one. <laughs> so let's try and win them back because today... We're going to talk about carbon. Mm-hmm. What is carbon? Carbon. Carbon offsetting. Uh, the element in the periodic it table. It is that. It's it's the the, mm-hmm. the least Googleable computer name, computer language name since Go, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. indeed C and C plus um, plus. You'd think the company who are mainly behind it would come up with a more Googleable name than a, a very common general purpose name. Mm-hmm. But never mind. Here we are. Right. So. Carbon, the recently announced programming language spearheaded by some folks at Google, but uh, really a community-driven project. And what it is, what we think about it, what do you think about it? What do you know about it? I know know very little about what I know about it, and I'm very interested to hear what you know about it, because I know that you have had some level of... Entanglement, quantum, quantum entanglement. entanglement. This, yeah, it is about that. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Your your spin direction and its spin direction, or if you measure one, then the other one changes or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's not doing yeah. very well here. Um, but I I know that you've had s- some amount of involvement with it, and I'm interested because what I've heard about it is that it is not the very first successor to C plus plus, perhaps one in a long line of potential successors, but it is an attempt to be a successor um, that works uh, very well. Uh, The interoperability works very well, Um, which to me, thinking generally about programming languages, uh, I think is a really important uh, feature if you're going to, you know, build something that you're going to say is a successor is if you can't, you know, people have like very large code bases in language A, and you're like, I'm going to introduce language B, and you're like, well, how do I call my language A code? And the answer is you don't. Well, that's the end of that. You, you write it to disk, right? and you fire up another process, and then read it back <laughs> right. out again in the next process yes. in the old language or whatever. Yes. Yeah, right. You open a pipe, and then yeah, I'm out. No, no. no. Uh, sorry, Which not going to. I do suppose that. actually now thinking about it, um, that's kind of the Python two. Python three approach, you know, when you when Python two, which is the same programming language, went to Python three. It's like, yep, right. Sometimes just you can't import an old li- libraries, you know, unless they use a very restricted mm-hmm. subset of the language. But but you're absolutely right. Yeah, that is Carbon's raisin d'etre, uh, which is I think dried grapes, something to do. Yes, uh huh. <laughs> it's like an alternative to wine. I see. If you have grapes, and you're like, well, I can't make wine, but I'll make. I'm gonna have a reason for being. <laughs> <laughs> so i think you know there, we can talk a little bit about what i understand to be the uh the genesis of carbon but yeah the intention okay. behind carbon is to be 
a successor, a potential successor, mm-hmm. as you say. And let's talk a little bit about what other things could reasonably be uh, successors for C++. And certainly, in my opinion, the things that make something a candidate for succession is it, it has to be a performance-based language, right? It has to be something which is fast because right. most people aren't writing C++ unless they need something to be uh, low-level and fast and you can reason about performance. You can even make some kind of uh, guesses as to what the CPU might do with certain language constructs and such things. Uh, and you, you need to be able to like poke directly to hardware because stuff is written to hardware mm-hmm. and you know the abstractions have to be able to peel all the way back to that. So that's that's one thing that makes it a successor. That very often means that it is not interpreted. It has to be compiled, right? I mean, I think that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. And there has to be no or minimal runtime support needed. Like it should just be a native running mm-hmm. program uh, or at least the ability to turn off all of the bits and pieces that make it need large amounts of runtime. So most of the mm-hmm. time, things that could be con- considered successors won't have garbage collection they won't have jitting right. those kinds of things they will be com- ahead of time compiled and what you run is what you compile there's nothing magical going on behind the scenes after that so those are the things mm-hmm. that so if we're talking about uh languages that fit into that bucket then mm-hmm. there's the d programming language now d actually mm-hmm. does have uh some form of garbage collection but it does look a lot like c plus plus um, but it fixes a whole bunch of issues. So that's one potential thing. Um, I mean, C-sharp, you could sort of argue, but I think we can, you know, it was an attempt to to be C-ish-like. Yeah. It's kind of the hi- yeah. hybrid child of Java and C++ in some ways, mm-hmm. but but it suffers from all of the, it's jitted, it's, it requires a large right. run, uh, managed runtime. Uh, yeah. Uh, guess more obviously, it's, it's Go and Rust. Now, Go also is arguably a system programs language, but it does need garbage collection. I believe you can turn it off and you can mark large areas of the code as not needing garbage collection and stuff. So in theory, you could yeah. write an operating system in it, I think. Rust is the strongest contender there, although it's Rust has never tried to set its stand out as being a successor to C++ uh-huh. from a lineage point of view. It is an alternative to C++. In fact, it may even be uh-huh. a more of a... Uh, arguably, it's more of a successor to C than C++ for some of the things that it does and the way that it does things. So so those are the things that immediately spring to mind as potential successes. If I miss one off, I wasn't really – I was jamming. I mean, I'm sure that there's a whole host of sort of esoteric ones out there. Um, I'm sure the listener is screaming th- into their headset and saying, yes. ah, what about blah? Yes, what about blah? And I will tell you, the fact that we're sitting here probably not remembering – what they are is telling. It sort of reminds. It reminds me of that old thing about there are two kinds of programming languages. You know, the ones that people complain about and the the ones that ones yeah that yeah the other bit yeah don't nobody cares about. So it's a little bit like that. Now now I'm thinking of it. You've just given me the break that I needed to actually clear my brain a little bit. Uh, going down the drop down list on Compiler Explorer, there are a number of potential uh, uh, other languages that um, that are successes, and there's something relatively new called jacked and i can't I, I haven't learned enough about it which is a bit of i haven't done my homework for this particular is that some kind of body spray it does sound like, like it doesn't drink, it yeah maybe uh, there's zig <laughs> zig is a cool um uh, one at least um that also is not managed and generates code mm-hmm. directly um a bit more uh, 
um, I, I don't know very much about it other than I, I was very interested in the way that the the language itself was was set up. There's a foundation behind it, and, and uh, you know it's it's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, yeah, I'm scrolling down the list now. This is awful. Uh, what do we got? Rust. We talked about Swift. I suppose is on the list. I've, uh, I don't know really too much about Swift. It's more of like an Objective C successor, isn't it? Oh yeah, Swift. Swift is like yeah. I I would maybe if I would maybe based on my very limited understanding of it put it maybe in that category because it sort of has all the properties that you talked about and it does have the backing of Apple and they do use it for you know iOS application I don't know how much it's really expanded beyond that but you know certainly in that realm and I've also found Nim there's another one but that's again it doesn't look very C plus y Nim Jack yeah so of the ones that um. And, and I know that um, actually when, when Carbon was announced, s- several folks on the various lists sort of said, hey, you didn't mention X, where X was either Nim or Zig or Jacked or something like that mm-hmm. as potential things. So we perhaps mm-hmm. it would behoove me really to, before we recorded this, to have looked into those a little bit. But <laughs> nevertheless, here we are. I can speak about the things that yeah. I know about only. So there are yeah. many things that are arguably successes, but the thing that Carbon has tried to do as exactly as you say be a systems programming mm-hmm. language that supports all of the features that C++ has plus a bunch more mm-hmm. more sensible defaults more uh, tractable syntax and semantics um and fewer f- ways to go wrong fewer things to make mistakes mm-hmm. um just because of yeah. like the age of things and with strong bidirectional support for interoperability with C++. And right, for those yeah. who aren't as familiar with the, what, what that might mean and why it's different for, say, C++ than most other languages that are compiled, a lot mm-hmm. of the things that you can do in C++ when you're using generics, unlike, say, Kotlin and Java and Scala and Groovy and all those things that share the JVM, there isn't, right. like, one way to launder the generics through like an object pointer. And therefore, if you know, if you write a linked list of T, you've got a linked list of everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you're giving Java a lot of credit. I, I'm trying, I'm trying. A lot because of people- Java's approach to this is, yeah, we're just going to throw that information away. That's how the interact works. Type erasure. It's just a list. I know, but it's, yeah, exactly. It's just a list of, of yeah. objects, right? And, and then it, there's yes, some syntactic yeah, right. sugar over the top that says, okay, you said right. it was a list of, of um, you know, windows. Uh, sure, yes, right. I'll uh-huh. cast it from object and back again every time. Right. It's all like um, right, the right. C level uh, of writing generic thing where everything's a void pointer to something. And you're like, well, okay, every time you want to get you, what you think it is out, you just, I'll let yeah. you do that. Yes, um, yes, so, But yes. C++ doesn't go down that route. It's more yeah. um, right. of a sort of macro expansion. Mm-hmm. Like at, com- at compile time, if you say a list of, Mm-hmm. window then a bespoke implementation of list is generated specifically for window and there are loads of tricks right. that you can do both at compile time because you know a bunch of things that are true about a list of window that aren't true for a list of widgets i don't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but also from the point of view as as a programmer i can write a generic list um object that has specializations and can test mm-hmm. for things that the T that I've been given either has or does not have. And so I can mm-hmm. maybe say, hey, I support this operation if the T I contain supports this operation, in which case mm-hmm. now if you call this on me, I'll do it on all of my contained objects. 
Or even you could have behavioral changes, which is like there is an optimization. When I know this thing is of this type, then I don't need to sort. So if you call sort on me, I won't do anything or or I can call some hyper-functional sort. So that's that's cool. That's clever. But it makes it very, very difficult because if you want to, if you're in a new language and you say, hey, I would like to use the C++ list generic on my mm-hmm. internal object that I've created in this other language. Right. How does that, how could that even work? They're like, that, that divide yeah. seems insurmountable. Carbon right. is attempting to make it surmountable that you could actually take a generic in one language and use it in the other with an, another language's type and vice versa to some extent. Now, quite how that will be achieved, I mean, in the way that it's currently explained is that they are parsing C++ header files using Clang as part of that. And they essentially have a C++ compiler built in. And then there's some generation of like interop code to be allow C++ to call into carbon code. Yes. I mean, as, as we've stated before in this podcast, I know absolutely nothing about C++. But one thing that I have sort of stumbled into accidentally while rummaging around in the programming language closet is that often with C++, if you use templates, you wind up with a lot of your code in headers. Exactly. And it is specifically because of this, right? Because that there is no compiled version of that generic list that's in an object file somewhere, right? Like there would be with Java, like you said. Um, like it's just this header file. That's the definition of it. And it's only when you sort of reify it in a way yes. that you actually get the the real compiled version of it for a specific type. That's exactly so, right. So yeah, as you're saying, the way that they're getting around this with with Carbon is, well, we're just going to parse the header files. Parse the header files and potentially even instantiate templates in C++ mm-hmm. land from C++ land into Carbon land and pass in some proxy object that allows the the uh, uh, the, the two oh, worlds okay. to operate between each other. Now, I think it's worth saying right now, because here I am talking like it exists, Carbon is an idea. Carbon is... Uh, a very early alpha design of a language with a very early, not yet totally functional interpreter. There is no code generating being mm-hmm. done right mm-hmm. now. So a lot of this stuff is theoretical and aspirational, but the mm-hmm. folks behind it are have a great pedigree. There are a number of folks from the C++ community. Uh, there's a number of people from various universities who specialize in programming language design. Uh, the community recently, it, this was announced only uh, last month, uh, and so there have been a, a huge amount of an influx of people who are interested in helping out. It's now open source. So if you were, if I was actually going to describe Carbon as anything other than uh, you know this strongly bidirectional uh, C++ um, successor, I would uh, the, the most important characteristic to me is how the community and the guidelines and the stewardship of the project have been set up. That has been an enormously important part of the process. It's like we know that in order to develop this, to make it into a real thing that people can and will use, we need the support and the backing and the input from a wide and diverse group of people from mm-hmm. high-frequency traders through to uh, you know embedded systems engineers who write whatever to to like web web developers to you know the likes of Google and Amazon and whatever uh, Adobe um these folks need to have their input in order to make it a genuine successor and not just like a specialization for a, a subset of, of of people right and there have yeah. been issues before with you know language design is hard um 
The Python way of doing it has been to have the sort of benevolent dictator for life, which has worked pretty well, provided the dictator is okay. Benevolent. Benevolent, <laughs> yes, exactly, and has um, um, a lot of um, thought about the community that they're, they're bringing along with them or or else they're just in a position where they're responsible for it for on behalf of a company, as, as I guess, you know, Python was, it was Google. Yeah. But, um, or, um, you know, you have a, a very process-driven system like the C++ committee, which has, um, is an ISO standards process. Um, and there's a lot of good things to be said about that process. That is, it is it's very much um, published, if not public, uh, and it is um, very formal. And that means that uh, if you are, the you know US military and you say I want a specification for how this language works and will work and so I can sort of talk to my compiler vendor and say if I write code and I deploy it in a particular way it's is it guaranteed you know will you warrant that it works then we can agree about it because there's there's the ISO standard it's a standard document but unfortunately that brings with it a lot of bureaucracy a lot of red tape and necessarily a high barrier to entry and the people right. that can afford to take the time to participate in that process are usually from a privileged group of, of folks or people for whom have companies with vested interests, which is, of course, important too, don't get me wrong. But it's quite difficult for an individual to turn up and say, I think we should do it this way. Now, I know of many individuals, I, I'm friends with lots of people who have made suggestions like that. But, you know, again, they've had the luxury of maybe having their company say, yeah, sure, you can spend three three weeks a year reading through all the mailings, getting up to speed, mm -hmm. going to the meeting, mm -hmm. presenting your paper, um, defending it against the rest of the, the c committee, and then ultimately getting it through. And it's a long process. People, you know, pe um, I think it was uh, Bryce uh, Adelstein-Lelbeck uh, who joined the committee like 12 years ago to get one feature in that he wanted, which was like some <laughs> multidimensional iterator, a multidimensional static size array, and it only just went in. And that means it'll probably be implemented in the next you know, revision, and you might be you might be able to rely on it in compilers in like five or six years' time, and that's a long, long, mm -hmm. long time. Whereas you know, so now he can finally quit. So now he can quit. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. But you know, I mean, th th again, there's a reason why that exists. It's a reason why it is that way. But for rapid development of a language and new ideas and trying that stuff out, you need something new, and you need a new vehicle for it. And the the Carbon uh, community is set up to hopefully, hopefully be that. Um, so that's interesting and exciting to me to see what will come out of that. I feel like we've talked about on another episode about languages and sort of language choice about how important community is in programming languages, right? And I think I've made the argument before that it's like, you know, whatever that community values is what you will be forced to value if you use that language. That's very true. Right? So if they value types, you will use types. If they value... Uh, you know, uh, fast feedback loops, you will have fast feedback loops. Like, you know, if they value testing, you will value testing. You won't really have much of a choice. You can fight against it and sometimes get away with fighting against it. Um, it's certainly possible to sort of, you know, go against the, the grain when it comes to using technology of any kind. Right. Um, but there will be this ever present, almost wave like force pushing you toward whatever it is that they want to do. And for me, that is almost more an important factor than things like language features or, you know, uh, tooling specifics, because it's like whatever state it's in right now, 
there's a possibility that it's going to change. Now, obviously, as languages get more mature, and as we were just saying about like things like the C++ committee, that change definitely has a certain pace to yeah. it. But um, but whatever it is that they value and whatever it is that that, that uh, group of people want um, is is going to have an effect on you if you work in that language. And so like understanding the specific individuals behind the language or the company behind the language or the uh, the mode that they all use to interact, um, you know, the way that they make decisions, the way that they make changes, the way that they, uh, you know, add those changes, you know, is it like a Python 2, Python 3 thing where it's going to be like, nope, we're breaking everything. And if you don't like it, suck yep. it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which might've been the right decision, but that was definitely, that's like a call. Like you made a call there and it's going to be this. So Understanding those things is super important to me. I completely agree. I completely agree. And in fact, you're talking about, again, the Python 2, Python 3 split and the fact that somebody just said, no, we're doing it. You know, mm -hmm. that is sort of sort of what this is about uh, in as much as the problem with C++ is also one of its greatest strengths. I mean, one of my, one of my talks is on what C++'s <laughs> superpower is, and I make an argument rather tongue-in-cheek, but... Only a bit tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> I don't know what that... <laughs> the, the C++'s superpower is, in fact, that really annoying backwards compatibility that means that we drag the you know tw 30 years of history around with us and half of the things are mm -hmm. have silly defaults because we didn't know better and we can't now change them because that would break old code. And no one has mm -hmm. yet come up with a way that can satisfactorily to everybody allow us to migrate slowly and make incremental changes without losing that really important backwards compatibility that lets you pick up code from 30 years ago and bring it into your code base, or even more, more sort of um, specifically problematically in this case, um, if you have a library that was built with C, a C++ compiler some number of years ago and you have subsequently lost the source code or never had it because it was a vendor, the vendor went out of business, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you have a header file and you have an opaque .o file or a .lib file or .a file or whatever, and you're like, well, my business depends on this options pricing library or this insurance right, right. Uh, algorithm thing. Yes, um, yes. Uh -huh. And what C++ guarantees pretty strongly that it is that a modern C++ compiler can consume that header file and know how to call the, the functions that are defined in that binary. That is... The application binary interface, the ABI, the way that things are laid out in memory, the way that which registers are used for what purpose and all of that stuff that comes together has not changed, even in the presence of compiler changes, even the presence of uh, language changes. It guarantees that. And that's super important to a very small number of folks. To them, it's it's absolutely critical, right? They don't have the yeah. source. They haven't got the wherewithal to reverse engineer or whatever. And so the ABI can't be broken. And in fact, it's only been like teased gently broken, like bent a little <laughs> bit once in my knowledge, which was when uh, a, a, fl a fundamental flaw in the way standard strings work was fixed. And that even to this day, there's command line options to kind of go, no, 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 go back to the other way because I still need to link with it or whatever. And you can sort of isolate. But like mm -hmm. in general, there are problems in changing the ABI. On the flip side, there are a number of standard containers and standard algorithms who are pessimized by decisions that were made from before. And we yeah. can't now change because the ABI 
would need to change alongside them in the particular instances of those 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 things, which means that things like hash maps, which you know are used absolutely everywhere, the standard one is never going to change, and it's nowhere near as performant as it could be if you were to stand, you know, sit down and write your own one from scratch. And of course, many people have done, and you can pick up any number of hundreds of different hash map libraries around, which is a thing. But how much nicer yeah. is it to just be able to rely on the one that's in the language and say, this gives me everything I need, and it's about as performant as I ever would need. Now, I yeah. I still treat unordered maps in C++ like that. Unless I prove otherwise, I'm I'm fine with the performance of it. But for a yeah. lot of people, it would be like, well, it's, it's silly. We're leaving performance on the table here because we can't make a change because we might break someone's code from 1998. And that, I mean, not in that specific case, but, you know, like... There are things like mm-hmm. that that have caused issue. And so... Most of my C++ is from 1990. That's right, yeah. So your C++, you can bring it along. <laughs> you should bring it along next time. We'll have a little play with it. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So so understandably, there is frustrations and there's almost, uh, one could argue, a sort of a schism between the companies and, um, and, and, and individuals for whom that has never been a problem. And I mean, foremost among mm-hmm. those, if we're being honest, is, is Google, who have long... Um, proselytize the idea of like building everything from source all of the time and living at the head revision of stuff you know Titus Winters um, the, yeah. the, the manager at Google um, I forget his title and that's sorry Titus um, but who's in charge of all the things that I, I know of at Google that are to do with C++ has always said you know we live at head here that's our development policy there's no version X of a library it's just like one monorepo everyone's checking in code all of the time everyone's making sure their code works with everyone else's code at the top and that makes sense and if you have all the code brilliant ABI is unimportant mm-hmm. to you because you never consume a binary from somebody else. You you always have just built right, it from source. Right. So you're like, hey, I wonder what happens if we change this compiler flag that would, you know, sort everything alphabetically in, in memory or whatever, right, in terms of the fields. of right. You're like, okay, cool. Let's just try it. Make, brrr, 100 years later, here's my executable. I've just changed everything about it. And to an extent, whenever I've worked, and this is probably as a result of having worked at Google, Whenever I work at a new company, one of the first things I'll do is set set up the, as near as I can get that again. You know, hey, if I type make, it fetches the version of the compiler that I want everything to be yeah, built yeah. with. And then it builds everything from source wherever it can with that version of the compiler. And then now we can make, again, these changes where you can make a, a, a change. And so ABI has not been important to me. and um, And so Carbon, I think, has come out of a, a sense of frustration to some extent that that C++ has kind of reached this point where no it's in a local minima now and it can't get out of it and so we need to do some sort of simulated annealing bang it every shake everything around introducing a new language is one of those uh but also yeah. a sense of like maybe there's a different way to develop a language and a more community driven approach might be appropriate here at this stage in the language maybe it'll change maybe it'll be a nicer standard in 20 years time maybe nothing will happen maybe and this has been said by uh, Chandler Carruth, I think. Um, maybe if the best, if, if C++ gets better as a result of having ideas being tried out in Carbon, even if Carbon never goes anywhere, that would still be a result. That would still be yeah. a success. You know, this is not a zero-sum yeah. game. If, right. you, if you don't like C++ and you want to try something else, try Go, try Swift, try Rust, try Kotlin, try Scala, whatever, mm. right? This is, uh, we're not, and I say we, I mean, I'm peripherally involved is to, is, is about the best thing you could say. Like I'm, I'm aware of it a bit more. Um, 
yes, we won't be taking anything away from C++. There's an argument that some resources are coming away from it, but I think the the, the folks who have stopped working on C++ as much and, and started to look at, at Carbon were folks who already had one foot out of the door, perhaps, in terms of what they're doing. So yeah. there's maybe that argument. Yeah. I, I think people also discount the um, effect that things like this can have on people's motivation and enthusiasm, right? Like, you know, if you if you inspire people and you get them headed in a, in a direction, I think it's very misguided to be like, well, but those people could be working on this thing. And it's like, no, they wouldn't because they just don't care. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just not the same. Exactly. Thing. Exactly. There's definitely yeah. a lot of excitable people. And, you know, the meetings that I've been to have been filled with people who are enthusiastic. And it's not to say that there aren't enthusiastic C++ core developers either. Right. But um, right, some right. of those folks uh, uh, have been doing it for like 20 odd years. And maybe, maybe they want to change. So who, who's to take mm-hmm. away from them? So from right. a point of view of um, actual features of Carbon, what are the type mm-hmm. of things that it's uh, presenting that I'm personally excited and interested about? Mm-hmm. Top of that list is actually generics. I know we sort of poo-pooed them a little bit okay. when we talked about Java and the kind of like the fact that everything gets laundered to an object star. Mm-hmm. Well, both Rust and I think Swift are fully compiled languages and don't have like an Uber base type like Java does like object. But they do support mm-hmm. a, a more um, generic <laughs> generic system. Uh, so that doesn't make any sense at all. Again, so a, a, a generic system where you can have a container of something where the something mm-hmm. isn't known at compile time, but yet mm-hmm. um, the, the something is constrained. Now, in C++ world, you know, you can actually literally put any type you like in that T parameter. I could put int in there. I could put float in there. I could put literally literally any yeah. any type can yeah. go in there and provided it compiles and makes sense and that's decided at compile time when you instantiate it then that's a valid thing to do but i can't later on uh support a dynamically chosen thing i can't load up a library and go oh now i want a t of those it's like no you you can't make a sorry you, you can't make a list of those types that you just loaded in from a dll or something like that because as we discussed it requires running the compiler to generate something for them right um mm-hmm. A technique that sometimes is handwritten in C++ is called uh, type erasure, where you kind of force a set of functions, virtual functions in real C++ terms, that implement all of the things that your generic T needs in order to be used. So, for example, if you have Uh a list of something, maybe you need to be able to copy something. So you need to be able to copy an object from one place to another or clone it. Um, You maybe need to be able to compare it. And you write these as methods, and each method has to be implemented by that type. And as it happens, you can now uh-huh. use templates to adapt any T to that, conform it to that interface, which is the erasing part. But then the generic algorithm you're handing to, maybe it's a, a sort algorithm, just purely works in terms of those functions that you've handed it. So it just calls uh-huh. functions. And so now there is no strong link between a sort that takes a sortable, like it would be an interface, a sortable interface, and right, um, right. and any object that, that that can be adapted to provide a sortable, yeah. So in that case, the the sortable interface and the sort function could be compiled and live in a binary somewhere. Exactly. And your sort of third party code could reuse that. Exactly right. Uh, in a generic. Exactly way. right. And and yeah. so there's you can do this by hand fairly straightforwardly yeah. by enumerating all the things you need your thing your your type to do writing a sort of virtual interface type 
that wraps that. Then you write your algorithm in terms of that virtual interface type, the, you know, sortable type. And then you write your little mm-hmm. one template that says, given any object, I will adapt that object. I will hold it on, onto one of those objects and I will present the virtual interface for this particular type. So that's the kind of binding part. And that's all very mm-hmm. hard to do. And it's, it requires you to do it by hand for every type you want to implement, which is a pain, but it has a certain amount of, uh, of uh, benefits and it's used internally in the, in the STL in a couple of places. What Rust and what, um, and I'm more weak on Swift do, is they allow for declaring this at the language level and letting the compiler essentially say, I can, I can adapt your type to fit this interface because it provides all these things. And then the thing that I will present is just a block of function pointers to the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And I will do that all for you automatically. You're right? I'll take this, uh, this, this, this object that you say, and it's got an implementation of this interface somewhere else. And I'll say, okay, this, this data and this block of function pointers go together. They're not tied as they are in C++ with virtual function points where it actually has to live inside the object somewhere. They can be disparate. And these are called traits mm. objects. These traits allow you to adapt any old chunk of data to any interface. And that can be done at, at this time. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. Now, it's, it's, and so, right, coming all the way back, Carbon is going to support a flavor of that. So you'll be able to write code that says, I would like to make, I would like to sort something this is the interface that anything that comes into me needs in order to be sortable, mm-hmm. like a less than operator and a swap between two things, whatever that may be. And now I can sort those things. And um, there's a very small change between making that like C++ templates where it is instantiated at compile time. I know the types and therefore the compiler knows the types. And for every type that wants to be sorted, I will make a new sort routine that only t- deals with that type. And if you don't use, I think it's an exclamation point inside like the, 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 the sort of like the name of the parameter or the type of the parameter, then it says, okay, no, what mm-hmm. I'll do is I'll make one of these adapters in the middle. And now I can take any object you, you like and I will compile the sort function once and once only and it will work with the, the interface. And then I will adapt mm-hmm. for the interface mm-hmm. and make a generic that, that, I, that fits it. Again, I think in Rust, it's called traits objects. Uh, in Swift, they call them witness tables, I think. There's something like this. Again, it's a little table that's like automatically generated that, that sort of bridges the gap, glues uh, a specific instance type to a generic interface type at the binary level. Now, right. it's never going to be as performant because you're always going through a layer of indirection, right? And all problems can be solved mm-hmm. by another layer of indirection, right? But right. it's a choice you can make. And unlike, say, C++, where if you want to do something most of the time, if you're just writing idiomatic C++, if you want to do something generically, you have a choice. You either go, I will make a virtual interface and everything that wants to go through my system has to inherit this virtual interface. Mm. Or you say, no, I will use templates and now I'm going to use compile time types. And it's a very different way of writing. It. It's a very different set of error messages and 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 the code is vastly different. Um this is trying to unify a bit more, is my understanding, so that you can make that choice without having to essentially rewrite. It's like, hey, maybe maybe this is performance critical, or maybe it is only used in places where I, I do know ahead of time what the actual concrete types are. So I can use the templatey generic system, uh, or no, actually, it's not performance critical. Uh, it's bloating my binary with 300 different copies of, you know, 
this yeah. function for every type of thing I call it with, let's just use the generic sort of Java style thing. And again, it's slightly more type safe than Java because instead of laundering it through the base pointer that's an object, it launders it through a uh, an interface that is necessarily the subset of things you needed. So it's always at least got all of the functions that you you declared you needed and the compiler will check that. So I'm excited about that because I bang on all the time about the cost of virtual interfaces and things like that. And then, you know, every now and then I'm, I'm like, well, actually, I can't use my nice shiny interface type anymore because it isn't uh, performant enough. And now I'm going to have to like, in order to have a test version and not a test version, I'm going to use a template. And oh, now I have to rewrite it. And I don't like it. It'd be yeah, nice yeah, just to yeah. change it around. Right. So, so that's what I'm most excited about when it comes to, to carbon. But again, it's a long way off. No one listening to this yeah. should think that they can go off and uh, build something yeah. with carbon. They can certainly go to Compiler Explorer and they can drop down carbon and they can see the assembly view isn't actually assembly view because there is no compiler. The assembly view will... I was going to say, if there's just an interpreter. It's just an interpreter. <laughs> so you see like the internal yeah. states that the interpreter goes through as it does all of the various language mm -hmm. laws of like, hey, this can be substituted with this. So I'm substituting that with this. And so you mean this and step, step, step. And eventually, obviously, it starts actually executing the program in an interpreted fashion and you do get a result. But it's very, very early days. But then the, also... It already has LLVM inside of it in order for it to parse, uh, sorry, Clang, and therefore LLVM. So it's parsing header files. You can actually show that the interrupt in principle is looking like it would, you know, it smells like it's going the right way. And so it can't mm -hmm. be too long before somebody says, why don't we generate some code? <laughs> why don't we just use the LLVM and generate actual uh, code? And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm looking forward to that day. Uh, are there any other, like, language features that you at least know about with carbon so the thing that keeps coming up on all of the the lists and certainly on the twitter twitterverse when it was first announced is carbon doesn't currently have support for strong memory safety so the <clears throat> rust's unique selling point is that it has right. a pretty strong type based ownership tracking system <clears throat> called the borrow checker which is responsible for knowing which parts of the code in any control flow may have references to data and asserting that the data, data's lifetime outlives the, the things that have references to them. So no more dangling yeah. pointers. Um, and um, that's great. You get a compiler error that says, hey, you passed this to this function, which then took a reference to it and held onto it in like some local state variable. And then it fell off the stack. And that's an error, right? In C++, mm -hmm. you compile it with all these sanitizers and at runtime, it'll go, oh, maybe that happened. Yeah. And that's that's a terrible time to discover that kind of error. So Rust wins on, on that front for certain. Um, it can be quite frustrating to phrase your code correctly in Rust so that you can prove to the compiler that you haven't made a mistake. And certainly, mm -hmm. you know, when I first looked at Rust, there were occasions when the borrow checker was too stringent and was couldn't prove like there was no flow in which you escaped a function and it hadn't taken a reference to, a, to something in, in under certain situations. But I believe nowadays it's mm -hmm. a lot better. So maybe, maybe my sort of like um, my experiences are, are, are gone. But there are definitely situations where it's hard to prove like doubly linked list, I think is the classic example where, you know, every, every pointer has a pointer back to the previous one. And if it's a circularly doubly linked list, it's like, well, what's the, uh, what's the life? Uh, what, what, how can we prove that it doesn't 
refer to some old data because there's no way of breaking the link. And I don't actually understand how that works. There's all sorts of annotations and things. So I'm, I'm not going to talk more. But popping the stack, Carbon doesn't try to solve this problem, partly because C++ and its strong interoperability with C++ kind of makes that hard, right? Essentially, yeah. any call to C++ yeah. would be, quote, unsafe given right. the uh, uh, the Rust model, right? Again, if you're in Rust and you're calling out to a C API, it's unsafe by by mm-hmm. by default. You can't safely track the memory patterns of calling an arbitrary function. It has no idea what it does. Similarly yeah. with the C++ yeah. side of things. So yep. the only things it can do is do, you know, makes makes some of the defaults like uninitialized variables. So in, in C++ or in and C, if you just go int i semicolon, then that's got no value at all. It's uninitialized. And if you're very, very, very lucky, it's uh, it's just uh, some random value off the stack. And if you're very unlucky, then the compiler has said, well, cl- you've made a mistake there and you're not allowed to make mistakes. So I'm going to take advantage of that and optimize it out in some crazy way. So mm-hmm. it's the dreaded undefined behavior. But Carbon has gone with like, no, we're going to actually initialize everything. If you want something to be not initialized, that's a hard, like unsafe block type thing. You have to say, no, I don't want this to be initialized. It's absolutely right. performance critical that we never initialize this. Fine. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, there will be things will be, there will be bounds checking type stuff that will be in the language and whatever. And of course, it'll have more, we can design it for address sanitizer style um, mm-hmm. um, support from the get-go and maybe make it a little bit more amenable to that and require less binary instrumentation type stuff. But there is a mm-hmm. design, There is a desire to move towards a, uh, a safe subset of, 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 of the language, which can be said to be, you know, provably uh, memory safe. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not a great, um, it's not a great uh, uh, story right now. And I think a lot of people are like, what the heck, you're inventing a new language here we are in 2022, yeah. and we're still going to have all of the overflow errors that we had, and the use after free, and the double free, and the leak problems. And like, I understand yeah. where people are coming from, but also, in my experience, limited as it's been in the last few years, even modern C++ has come leaps and bounds in that direction, right? With the sanitizers, mm-hmm. but also with all of the facilities the language now provides. It's a lot harder to make the kinds of mistakes that were trivial to make before, like, you know, by using smart pointers and annotations and, again, the the, the sanitizer. So I'm not as concerned about that myself personally. Maybe, just maybe, I'm in a luxurious position of, like, none of my code has uh, user input banged into it all day. So I'm not parsing, Mm -hmm. you know, potentially adversarial messages from a network. And so, you know, maybe I'm just sleepwalking and, you know... (laughs) If anyone with half a brain uh, tried to hack anything that I had on the internet uh, that was written in C++, then they would immediately discover all of the overflows that I haven't. So maybe I'm just um, uh, blind to that. Does Carbon have its own standard library, or is it just going to piggyback off the C++ library? How's that going to so work? So my understanding, now we're into a bit that is, is even more um, speculative than most of the stuff I've been talking about, Um Obviously, they want to be able to use the STL directly straight away. Mm-hmm. But I think they really right. want to have a sort of more batteries-included feel um, and have libraries that do more things than, say, the standard library does in C++. I think that's always been a, another point of contention is, like, the STL is necessarily – no, not mm-hmm. necessarily. The STL is relatively limited. Uh, it has a great set of amazing algorithms and the way that you can – 
plug them together and you can build stuff is f- wonderful. But, you know, and, and there's an argument that says if you want to tell whether or not this string is inside this other string, then you could use the generic algorithm that find takes a sequence uh uh, mm-hmm. One range that's a that's a bounded sequence, and another range that's a bounded sequence, and it tells you whether or not they intersect in some way. And it's about twelve lines to set it up nicely. And I'm sorry, it's not twelve lines, but you know, I'm hyperbolic <laughs> here. Um, right. You know, and and, and um, you know, and so why would we ever need to have a string dot includes other string? Right. Right. But yeah, th- that's a bit to to me. That's facile, right? That's mm-hmm. that's that's not useful. It's beautiful and it's e- elegant. But everyone yeah, wants yeah. to say, does this string end with this other string? Or does is this string right. the prefix of another string? Which now has actually been added to string. And there are thousands of functions that have been added to string, which is obviously another problem. So it's hard to find the balance. It's hard to find the balance. It is. But yeah. I think C++ really suffers from not having a lot of, uh, uh, of like, what would be straightforward stuff. You know, like, hey, I want a 2D graphics library. I just want to draw pictures on the screen. I want to open a window and mm-hmm. fill a triangle. And you're like, no, 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 you mm-hmm. can't do that. That's not built in. You can you can do console out. That's it, right? Nothing yeah. else. And that's, yeah. you know, w- when you're trying to demo to folks, you know, stuff, it's just nice to be able to to to, to, to draw a Mandelbrot set in a couple of lines of code right. or, or stuff like that. But, you know, networking, yeah. there's no networking. It's coming soon to C++, but it still isn't there. And it's there's a lot of, Degrees yeah. of freedom in networking, of course, but it does seem silly you can't write like a, a modern web server without pulling in hundreds and hundreds of bits of other things. Yeah. And there's nothing yeah. there in the in the, the standard. So it, is Carbon going to have a calendar API, and more importantly, is it going to be called dating? Oh, the Carbon Dating Library. It's going to have to now. Yes. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I mean, there have been a number of gags uh, you could imagine about carbon. I mean, it's a whole new opportunity for puns with this language, right? Like you just for the longest time, it was an internal name, and I don't think we had any thought that it would actually be the external name. But you know, the story about <laughs> internal names, where it's not really a good yeah. external name, is like well, they tend to stick, and then you're like, well, we're kind of used to it now. Yeah, I think I've told you about this before yeah. that that I whenever in whenever I'm stuck trying to think of a name for something, I will make up something silly. And oftentimes it's Bob and Ian. They're just the two words, you know, they're mm-hmm. my they're my personal silly metasyntactic mm-hmm. variables, especially as I've tried to move away from the the other ones that everyone uses, right, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. But um I think probably still at, at our previous trading company, there is a system that was referred to as Bob still, because we could never <laughs> think of a proper name for it. And so it stuck and now that's Bob. Um, I think it was some simulator of some exchange. Uh, <laughs> it's like it makes no sense. It's an agent that makes a simula- an exchange do something. And I, I'll just call it Bob for now with one of the, the intern type folks. And mm-hmm. then, like, oh, well, that's what it is now. Yeah, Bob forever. Cool. Well, that's about all I know about it. I'm excited. I'm not very involved in it. <laughs> I'm only involved in it because Compiler Explorer wanted to be a day one feature for when they launched. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really interested in seeing where it goes yeah yeah okay well is there like uh like an upcoming inflection point for carbon a date that we should be looking out for or a, a release or something like that i don't believe so no i think people can just google carbon language and you'll find the github repo where everything is there is a mm-hmm. um yeah so there's a lot of documentation aspirational and otherwise on that site as well as the code you will mm-hmm. need basil or basil to build which is 
a bit of a contention for me, um, but that's a whole other conversation. And um, there is a Discord that you can join. Again, there's a very strongly enforced and carefully set out code of conduct with a moderation panel and stuff. So it's a safe space for folks to come out if you're just interested in um, what it looks like to see a language in its early in its early infancy. Uh, yeah. there, if you if you sign the CLA, there's a, the client license agreement, whatever it is, to become a contributor to it, then I think that you can get to join the um, the weekly meeting that we have. Uh, I've certainly noticed some some people, some of the compiler explorer implementers actually, who got like a bit of an early heads up that, that Carbon was coming in the pipeline mm-hmm. because of um, well because of compiler explorer and um, right. have now got, have now joined and are involved in that. So I, I'm excited to see that kind of synergy, uh, folks that I, I know are, are very interesting and interested in this um joining so come along and join yeah sounds it sounds super cool looking forward to see what happens with it all right well um until next time i guess until next time you've been listening to two's compliment a programming podcast by ben rady and matt Godbold. find the show transcript and notes at twoscompliment.org Contact us on Twitter at 2CP, that's at T-W-O-S-C-P. Theme music by Inverse Phase, inversephase.com. <laughs>